0: Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go, to know him, to grow in him, to go with him. You know, Joe, uh, you're really turning into quite the pianist. (laughs) One of these days... One of these days, Joe, we might just make a musician out of you after all, huh? Now, another round of applause for everybody this morning, getting us going with worship. We are in our sermon series still, Colossians, Keystone Theology, again, we want to look at the theology within Colossians and understand that there are some truths in this awesome letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae that are foundational to our Christian faith and who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come together this morning to not only sing songs praising your name, but also to now turn to your word and be encouraged. Lord, I pray that we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us individually as we move towards you. Pray that we can spur one another on towards Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but turkeys are only capable of doing one thing and one thing only. And that one thing that turkeys are capable of doing, and the only thing they actually do well, is eating. That's all they're good at. Even when turkeys try, they still cannot fly. In fact, turkeys aren't even that good at walking, are they? So what do they do? They don't walk, they waddle. Basically, turkeys eat, waddle, and fail to fly. Church... This is a harsh reality, but it is true, not of turkeys, but of you. See, some of us here are turkeys, not in the sense that my grandfather used to call me a turkey, but we, some of us, are turkeys. Some of us waddle into church each and every Sunday with one intention and one intention only. And what do you think that intention is? To be fed. Then we waddle back the next Sunday repeating the same process. And then our lives, and within them, some of us wonder why we are unable to fly. Wondering why we waddle around on the ground. So what's the moral of the story? What are we getting at right here this morning, right out the gate? The moral of the story is this, quite simply, don't be a turkey. Gobble, gobble. Instead, let's be about what the title of our sermon is this morning. The title for our sermon this morning is this, the ministry, the ministry from Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. See, last week we were encouraged to know that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has made it possible for the enemies of God to become His forever friends. We were reminded that Jesus, and before Him, we were hostile towards God. However, we are comforted knowing that we will stand before Him one day with nobody being able to make an accusation against us. No, not because of us and our performance and what we think that we did to please God. No, because of what Jesus has done. We stand before the Lord confident in the work and performance of Jesus. All because of Him and His performance on the cross. See, today we're going to examine the main goal of a Christian's ministry. We know we're saved, right? If you're confident in your salvation, then what's the goal of what you're to do now? That's what we're going to be focusing on. We're going to examine the main reason why we serve one another within the church. So let's get into our text this morning, Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 through with all energy, that He powerfully works within me. Amen. As we want to put these verses into a sentence this morning, that sentence would look like this. Our main idea is the goal of Christian ministry is to encourage others toward maturity in Christ. The goal of Christian ministry is to encourage others toward maturity in Christ. This time of year, there is a competition called the Tour de France. And cycling, for some of you, you may know this, some of you may not, but it is considered to be one of the most grueling sports ever. In fact, in order to be successful one must be able to endure a tremendous amount of suffering on the bike. This photo is from the 2019 Tour de France. Look at these riders. Look how tightly packed in they are. See, this competition is a three-week-long race, and it consists of over 3,000, over 3,000 grueling miles Therefore, a cyclist cannot win the tour without a team. You can't just go out on your own and win this competition. You have to have a team. Now yes, there is one winner, uh, one overall winner of the entire race, but they don't get there by themselves. It is virtually impossible. Usually what that means is that each team has one rider they're actually working for. See, one rider that's usually predetermined. So before a team goes into the race, they say, you are our guy. You are our best overall, all around rider. We're going to work for you. So how does this actually work from a team perspective? See, basically you have four different general abilities on each team. You have domestiques, you have sprinters, you have climbers, and then you have the best overall all-around rider, the one in which the domestiques, sprinters, and climbers work for. And each rider has to be good, or they have to be a good steward of the ability that they've been given, the reason why they're on the team. See, they got on the team because they have a particular responsibility or something that they're good at, so now they need to be a good steward of their talents that they've developed a lot of skill to coincide with. So what does a domestique do? See, a domestique in cycling is the rider who takes the brunt force for the best rider. See, in cycling, the guy in front can be doing 100% of the work, and the guy directly behind the guy in front of him is doing 70% of that 100%. So the guy behind the domestique is conserving his energy. A sprinter on certain stages would ride behind a domestique all the way until about the last few miles and then sprint to the finish. He would save his energy. Each team sprinter would save their energy and then break off at the end to this finish line. A climber would do the same thing. A domestique would carry the best rider up the mountain and then with just a few miles left the best climbers would break away from their domestiques because they've been conserving their energy because some of these stages in these races, it's a three-week-long three race. Some of these stages are over 100 miles in duration. They've sat there and ointed 70% of the work, and their legs are more fresh to finish the finish line. And the all-around rider is the one that they work for. See, this is similar to us in the church. We all have the same goal. However, we all have different abilities, different giftings. We all have these different gifts in which we use to work together to achieve that goal that we have. But most importantly, we all must, as our text tells us this morning, minister according to the stewardship from God. And we see that In our text here, verses 24 and 25. Paul begins by saying, Now I rejoice. See, to rejoice is to be glad or to take delight in something. So what is Paul rejoicing in? What is it that he's rejoicing in? He's rejoicing in his sufferings for your sake. Just like a cyclist in the Tour de France will suffer for the sake of their team, you don't think that that domestique as he climbs up the mountain isn't suffering in order to get the best rider to a certain point with the freshest legs? He may not get the credit for coming in first, but the one on his team does. See, let's not forget who Paul is writing this letter to. The church in Colossae. See, this also, though, even though he's writing to this particular church, pertains to us. So why is Paul willing to suffer? Why? Why is he so willing to suffer? See, it's because of what he says here. He's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. See, what he's really saying is this. He's really saying is he's willing to suffer in order to aid and build Christ's church. What he's saying is it's that he wants to aid and build up the body of Christ. That's the church at large. Though we are a singular local church, we are part of the body at large, and that's what he's willing to work for. What he's really saying is that I refuse to waddle in and be fed like a turkey. Now, what's even more amazing is that Paul had an excuse not to minister or serve. And that's the thing that kind of has always baffled me when people say, you're a minister. Well, no, if you're a believer, you're a minister, too. Ministry just means to serve somebody else. And it's amazing to me that Paul had an excuse not to serve. He had an excuse to waddle in and just be fed, but he refused to use it. So what was Paul's excuse? He had the perfect excuse at this period in time when he's pinning this letter. See, Paul was in jail. He's writing this letter from jail. So tell me if Paul's in jail writing this letter, still serving Not wanting to be, come to me, put money on my books so I can get commissary from the jail. I'm sure they didn't have a commissary then, but you get my point. If he's saying, I have this excuse, I'm refusing to use it, so tell me what's your excuse? If you're just busy waddling in and wanting to be fed, what's your excuse for not serving? What's your excuse for not participating in the ministry? See, he knows that he cannot have an excuse, especially when he knows that what he says here, he became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Just like a cyclist in the Tour de France, Paul knew the role he was to play in the body of Christ. The same role that was ordained by God, the role that required the abilities that were given to him by God to do exactly what he says at the end of verse 25 to make the word of God fully known, aka make the entirety of the gospel, aka the good news fully known to all who the Lord would bring into the Apostle Paul's life. Again, what's your excuse? Chances are you're not as restricted as Paul at the time of his writing. So are you gospel-minded toward those who the Lord brings to you? Paul couldn't go anywhere, but the Lord still gave him an audience with this church. And don't think that he's not going to give you an audience as well. It may not be the same audience that Paul has. It may not be the same audience that I have. It may not be the same audience as the person to your right or left or behind or in front of you. But the Lord will bring you the audience that he has commissioned, that he has ordained you to serve. After all, your team cannot win the race unless you mind your stewardship from God. Unless you're willing to suffer, which is going to take a tremendous amount of suffering to serve. And I think our text this morning makes that abundantly clear. So therefore, what are some ways in which in our life we can make the Word of God fully known? I think if we simply look at it, from these two basic perspectives, we can achieve this together. The first would be to verbalize the gospel. Who were you before Jesus? Can you explain to somebody else who you were before Jesus? Can you now explain who you are after Jesus? Explain the good news and how it's transformed your life. The other thing that we can do is we can live the gospel. We can live out this good news. So the question is, how are you serving? How are you serving currently? What does your ministry look like? And then I think the second question for us to ask because this is an issue of motivation which is extremely important because we can all run out and serve We could go and do some tremendous things in this community together, but we could do them with the wrong motives. Are we doing them out of a servanthood towards Christ? Or are we doing it so we look good for what we get out of what we're doing? So why? Ask ourselves the question, why are we serving? Church, like Paul, God has ordained you. He has commissioned you. He has given you the strength also to suffer through what it is that you may have to suffer through. He has given you the abilities to do exactly what we're being encouraged to do right here. To make the word of God fully known. Thus, with that being said, we arrive at our first point this morning. And our first point is this. Serving others is the hard work of sharing Christ and building up his body. Serving others is the hard work of sharing Christ and building up his body. Again, our main idea this morning or one sentence that defines all these verses is this: the goal of a Christian or the goal of Christian ministry is to encourage others toward maturity in Christ. I'm sure there's some of us here this morning who are fans of a good mystery, like perhaps maybe a whodunit or maybe just simply the game of Clue. Most of us have played the game of Clue. I know that's one of the favorites in our house. And for those of you that have played Clue, you know that you start with three concealed cards in the middle. After you shell out all the cards, all the evidence is out there, the real evidence is put into... Those three cards, it's a mystery as to who, as to how, and where they committed the murder. Church, before Jesus came to earth and was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, the hope of our future was a mystery. But fortunately for us, it no longer Is And we get a glimpse of this in verses 26 and 27. See, this mystery that it says that is hidden for the ages and generations was a secret. So when we see the word mystery, we look at it as being a secret. See, the path of salvation has always been known by God. God has always known what the path was going to be since before He created. Ever since the beginning. However, it's revealed To his saints here, as we see in the text. For those of us asking though, who are his saints? Because some of us may be confused by this terminology. Who are the saints? Is Paul only talking to a select few? Is he only talking to those who have had a noble performance walking here on this earth to where they are now considered saints because of what they have done? Is that who he's talking to? No. No. A saint is anybody who has saving faith in Jesus, not because of their work, but because of the work of Christ. Therefore, we ask the next question, who is this mystery? With that being said, it says mystery. Who is this mystery or who is this secret? See, opening the Bible is like opening that envelope in the game of Clue. Mrs. White with the candlestick in the dining room. By opening the entire Bible, we see Jesus crucified, resurrected. See, Paul reminds us that. He says this. He says, God chose to make him known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Not the Jews, but the Gentiles. A Gentile is a non-Jew. There are many predictions of this in the Old Testament. So what's this secret? The secret is that we now know is that Jesus died for all. He died for both Jew and Gentile alike. So what's the mystery? What does it say? It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, the hope of glory is common hope for all believers. Our hope is the same. And that hope is Jesus, church, To have hope is to be forward-thinking. To have hope is to be secure in your future. Now apply that thought to what you see happening in this world today. All the chaos that we see surrounding us. I mean, this world hasn't been getting better. It hasn't been good since Adam and Eve bit into the fruit has it we're not improving we have more exposure to what it is that's going on around the world almost too much exposure apply that thought of being forward-thinking to what we see happening right now a believer's hope isn't defined by seeing the actual storm itself a believer's hope is defined by seeing past on through the storm. Church, in order for us to be effective in the ministry, for us to be effective in serving, we must first see past the storm. We must first show, as it says here in the text, Christ in you, the hope of glory forward, futuristic type thinking, we must encourage others toward maturity in this thought. We must encourage others toward maturity in this heart, that motivation. And this is exemplified in our second point. And that point is this. Christ living in the believer is this world's only hope. Christ living in In the believer, the Holy Spirit living in you, is this world's only hope. Again, our main point this morning, the goal of Christian ministry is to encourage others toward maturity in Christ. And speaking of maturity, have you ever been mature enough in order to obey a warning sign like this? Do you know why warning signs like this even exist? It's because somebody unknowingly touched the hot surface. Do you also know why warning signs like this exist? Because there's some of us out there, Pastor Jared's pointing at himself, who will read a sign like this and still want to touch the hot surface. Church, we need to warn Others. We need to keep warning each other no matter the amount of suffering, no matter the amount of struggle, even though you know it's hot, warning signs work. They are highly effective at preventing injury. If this wasn't true, then we wouldn't see so many warning signs in everyday life. Church, we need to wisely warn each other, especially since we know the Lord. We need to wisely warn those who do not know Him. And we see Paul encourage us in this in verses 28 and 29. And in my opinion, it gets no better than the beginning of verse 28. Look, look how Paul starts off. It really gets no better than this. See, up until this point, the first four verses are leading up to him starting off verse 28, the way in which he starts off. He says, Him we proclaim. We we proclaim Jesus. He doesn't say, I proclaim Jesus. He says, we proclaim Jesus. Please tell me that you notice something significant, though, about this phrase. Please. Because I'm going to share with you what I find rather significant, rather telling to me, rather encouraging. See, what this is really telling me, by him saying, him we proclaim, it tells me that evangelism is not a solo effort. Again, Paul says, Him, we proclaim. It's through the church that people get saved. It's also through the church that people get discipled. However, the goal here is to, as it says, present everyone mature in Christ. See, you can never give away something that you do not own. Therefore, if you're not maturing in Christ, you cannot encourage someone else to mature in Christ either. What does it look like to be someone, though, who is maturing or is mature in Christ? We really could list every biblical character trait that we know about Jesus. We could say, that's what it looks like. But if we want to keep it simple... We would say it probably looks a little bit more like someone who has a constant desire, a constant motivation to simply want to love God and love others. After all, isn't this the greatest commandment? So is this your daily desire? Is this your desire in each and every situation? To love God and love others. Also, let's go back to the beginning of verse 28. Someone who is mature in Christ will proclaim him, won't they? They'll proclaim Christ when things are good, when things are bad, and when things are ugly. There's never not going to be a situation where you don't have an opportunity to proclaim who Jesus is. Is. So as Mike comes up, and as mentioned earlier, sharing and serving Christ is hard work. We, we made that abundantly clear. I don't want anybody to leave here this morning thinking that serving Christ is easy. This is why Paul says, for this I toil here in the text. He says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Toil. That word Toil. It can indicate that you're working to the point of exhaustion. Struggling can mean to agonize. So in order to warn and teach everyone about Christ, we can expect to work till exhaustion. We can expect to agonize or to suffer extreme pain. Allow this to be yet another warning for you remember when we mentioned the Tour de France there's one thing I forgot to mention about the tour that I should have mentioned prior see everyone who starts the race and and mind you they're all professionals this is what they do for a living they get paid to race bicycles everyone who starts the race each year and the race is almost, it's around 100 years old, somewhere around there. Everyone who starts doesn't finish. It's Too much pain, it's too much suffering, too much of a struggle, too much toil. 3,000 plus miles of toil to be exact. 3,000 plus miles of struggling physically will break a man, even a professional. However, for us, If it's him we proclaim, despite the toil, despite the struggling, we are guaranteed success. Why? See, in the tour, success is contingent on the rider's energy and power. That's why they don't always finish the race. It's contingent on what third legs can produce, how much power they can do on their own. Our success is really His success. Because it's done with, as it says here in the text, all His energy that He powerfully works in each and every one of us, just like the Apostle Paul, because after all, if God put the energy that He powerfully works into turkeys, they would have been flying by now. So as it pertains, to proclaiming Christ crucified. Who here this morning is ready to fly? Who is ready to take off? And we arrive with that statement being stated to our third point. The endurance to proclaim Christ crucified is found in all of God's power and energy at work within us. The endurance to proclaim Christ crucified is is found in all of God's power and energy at work within us. Again, our first point this morning. Serving others is the hard work of sharing Christ and building up His body. Our second point this morning. Christ living in the believer is this world's only hope. And finally, our main point this morning was this. The goal of Christian ministry is to encourage others toward maturity in Christ. Church, we do this together. We do this together. We encourage each other for the purpose of serving each other. Let's work together. Let's encourage each other, especially when we see suffering, when we know that there's going to be toil. Let's encourage each other in moments of being glad and happy and rejoicing in what we see the Lord doing for the ultimate goal of making Him known to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are appreciative of the work that we see you doing thus far, but I want to continue to pray that you use us Help us understand the roles that we need to play individually in order to make you known to others. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com